All right, everybody. If you have a Bible view, we are going to be in the third chapter of the book of Revelation this morning. And we have Revelation chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. If you didn't bring a Bible with you, that scripture will be on the screen behind me when we get to that point. It's probably also a black pew Bible somewhere in your vicinity. Uh, and if you are joining us online, that scripture should be on your screen on whatever device you're watching when we get there. Again, that's Revelation 3, verses 1 through 6. So there's this type of tree called a manchineel tree. Has anybody ever heard of a manchineel tree? No, okay, I thought maybe any Floridians, I don't know if we have any people who have spent some time in Florida, but it's a, a tree in Florida, and like a lot of things in Florida, it can kill you. Have you noticed that about Florida? There's a lot of things in Florida that are just dangerous, whether it's alligators or crocodiles or the heat or hurricanes. Uh, just a lot of stuff. It seems like a wild state. Uh, I've only been there for a, a moment, but um, always a lot of interesting stories coming up. So, uh, it was named by some uh, early European visitors, uh, some Spaniards. The, uh, the fruit of it was named Manzanilla de la Muerte, which if you know enough Spanish, you know that that means the apple of death. Uh, and it was called that for a reason, uh, because if you ate the fruit, you normally died. Um, so it was an apt title. Um, but not only is the fruit itself deadly, the sap that the fruit gives off is also, or the sap that the whole tree gives off, is also very problematic. If you come into contact with the sap, uh, you can develop a rash, some severe blisters. Um, it even says in Florida there's some signs that uh, where these trees exist uh, that say danger, don't touch. And it even says on some of these signs, don't stand under this tree while it's raining. So if you're in Florida, it's pouring on you, you're looking for shelter, don't stand under uh, this, this manchineel tree because the sap might get in the water as it rains down on you and you develop some nasty rash or blisters all over your body. Welcome to sunny Florida, right? Uh, so there's your tourist uh, commercial for Florida. But not only that, but if you decide, I need to get rid of this tree, uh, and your method of getting rid of it is to burn it, um, don't breathe in the fumes while you do, because it could cause severe respiratory distress. So now you know about the manchineel tree. But if you saw a picture of this tree, you wouldn't really think anything of it. It looks pretty normal. Uh, there was a reason why they called it the, the apple of death. I'm sure it's because people actually took and ate the fruit and then died. Something you learn by trial and error. You don't see it just by looking at the tree itself. You see, you already know this, most of you, but just because something looks healthy and or safe from the outside does not mean that it is. It could be quite the opposite. Outward appearance is a poor indicator of what's going on inside. And from our perspective this morning, outward appearance is often a poor indicator of spiritual health. Yet, what do we spend so much of our energy in our culture today? And when I say culture, I mean the culture at large, but I'm also talking about us as Christians. What do we spend the majority of our, of our time on? The outward appearance or that inner relationship with Christ? Outward spirituality, or outward religiosity, I should probably call it, seeks the affirmation of others. As long as we can make things appear good to other people, then it seems like we have it all together. And what does anyone want more in the Christian world than everyone around them thinking that they're an awesome Christian? That often seems to be the end goal of what we inherently pursue, what we inherently chase in the Christian world, not necessarily on purpose, but oftentimes, at least by accident, where we try to do all of the things, check all of the boxes, make sure that our relationships look good from the outside, our marriage looks good from the outside. It seems like we're really good parents, 
from the outside. Uh, we have good friendships from the outside and make sure that everything looks good on the outside because that's what health is, right? Because when we look at our neighbor, they look good from the outside. Social media or personality or virtual self, whatever you want to call it, looks good from the outside. And so we want to achieve the same level of success that they do. And so we worry about the things that other people can see. What do we spend most of our time thinking about? Or do we spend more time focusing on our inward spirituality, our personal relationship with Christ, resting in the affirmation of God alone through Jesus and not on that of other people around us? Christ-likeness is an inside-out process. It is something that begins by the Holy Spirit at work within us and then bears fruit by what we do with our, with our hands, by what we speak with our mouths, and by even the fruit of our own thoughts. But it starts with the inward movement of the Holy Spirit of Jesus Christ. Christ's likeness is an inside-out process. It's a really good word for the church. Artists. It's uh, the fourth church that we're looking at in this series over the seven churches of Revelation, or Revelation as a whole, but looking now at the seven churches. So before we jump in and read what Jesus has to say to the church in Sardis in Revelation 3, 1 through 6, let's pray together once again. Father, we are grateful to be here in your presence this morning. God, we are grateful that you are literally here through your spirit. And God, we know that you're not just here just because, but that you come every time with a purpose. And that through your word... God, you have a word for us this morning. So, Lord, I pray that you would help us to clear our minds and hearts, chaos and a busy week, and to focus solely on what you have for us this morning. That, Lord, through your perfect word, work in the Holy Spirit, God, may you do a work of transformation within us, is you through your word. I ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Revelation chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. And to the angel of the church in Sardis write, The words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have not found your works complete in the sight of God. Remember then what you have received and heard. Keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I will come against you. Yet, you still have a few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments, and I will never blot his name from the book of life. I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Sardis, like the four churches mentioned before it, was an important city in the Asia Minor world. It was a commercial center known for its textile industry. Sardis was also known for its luxury. Many historians believe that Sardis was the first city, at least in this area, to mint currency out of precious metals. Sardis, like many of the other churches or many of the other cities in Revelation 2 and 3, was also home to pagan worship that sought to steal the allegiance towards Jesus away from Christ's followers. And the patron goddess 
of Sardis was Sibel. Sibel, the mythology goes, drove her lover Addis insane when she angered him, which led him to the point of taking his own life. But in the midst of great Sibel brought Addis back to life. For those who lived in this area, what's symbolic of the death and rebirth cycle with nature, uh, when during fall and winter, plants, plant life would, would die and become dormant, and then in the spring, it would once again reawaken. Sardis, while having a great history, was currently in the midst of decline when this letter was written, recovering from an earthquake in AD 17. And Jesus introduces himself to this church thus, he who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars, reminding everyone who's listening that Jesus and Jesus alone holds the fullness of the spirit of God, that God is not found in these other gods, but found alone in Jesus and his presence with them. And likewise, Jesus holds the fullness of the church, that he cares for the church, that he is there for the church, that he holds the church responsible. One thing that's different from the letter to Sardis that is uh, different from most of the other letters in Revelation 3 to the different churches is that Jesus has nothing good to say about Sardis. There is no commendation. There is no, hey, you're doing a good job at this, which he normally says to the others. With Smyrna in particular, because they were undergoing so much persecution, he only had good things to say to them. But here in Sardis, he gets right to the point, right to the thing they need to fix. And if there's anything good at all said, it really comes across as something bad, because the one thing he says is, you have the reputation of being alive. The reputation of being alive. Not actually alive, it just looks that way from the outside. That's what people might say about you. The Christians in Sardis were likely well thought of by their peers. If you ask someone in Sardis what they thought about the Christians there, they would probably speak well of the Christians in their city. They were probably very well connected, perhaps too much, being involved in pagan rituals. And unlike churches that are mentioned, there's no, there's no word about any sort of persecution that they were enduring. They seemed to get along with those around them. They appeared to have it all together just like their luxury-loving neighbors in Sardis. That's the thing about luxury, right? Is it looks really good from the outside, but can often cover up something that's darker and deeper and hidden and evil and destructive. Perhaps this is what is going on in Sardis. They look great on the outside. Even though your outward appearance is the first thing that others see, it is the least important thing about you the least important thing about you is your outward appearance. I mean that both by your physical appearance as well as the way you appear to others. Have you ever wondered why we spend so much time looking in the mirror and so little time looking inward at our own hearts? Have you ever wondered why we put on a good show, why we make sure that everything looks good on the outside? While the only time we really, the thing that might cause us to worry about our health is something that happens that others might see, others might notice, not something that we just feel on the inside. Have you ever wondered why we spend so much time curating our virtual selves online, making sure we post the perfect Instagrams or share the perfect snaps, or make sure that everything looks good on Facebook so that those around us will see that indeed we do have it all together and we are people to be envied just like we want to be. Have you ever wondered while we spend so much time looking in the mirror but fail to see ourselves for who we really are. This is one of the human predicaments of our world, of our age. Must it also be true of the church? 
certainly was in Sardis. On the outside, they looked good, but on the inside, there was death. Now, I know what you're saying. I know what you might be thinking at this point. I'm like, yeah, that's, that's a worldly thing, but, but I'm not that way. Like, I don't struggle from that. Take care of the inside first, and, and then, you know, I'll just, I'll just let people think whatever they want to think. Is, is that true, though? I, I, wanna, I want you to challenge yourself a little today. This is a challenging scripture. And challenge yourself with the question of whose approval am I really looking for? Am I looking for other people's approval or am I looking for God's approval? Should I put it this way? Am I looking for other people's approval or am I resting in God's approval that he gives me through the power of Jesus Christ by grace through faith, not by anything that I've done? Am I leaning into that rather than looking for the approval of others? Because we'll often shine that up, our desire for approval from others, and turn it into something that is we think should be a good thing and not necessarily a bad thing. Well, you know, I want the approval of my spouse. I want the approval of my children. I want the approval of the people that I work with. And we can sell that as a good thing. I want to be respected in our line of work. We want to be respected in our own home. We want our children and our spouses to look to us as people of integrity, people who can be there in a pinch, people who will help them through any situation. We want those things, and in and of themselves, they're not terrible things to desire. But do we spend more time on constructing ourselves for other people to see and admire than we do in looking to the one who literally built us from the inside out to find out who we really are? You want to know one of the reasons why I think I did the key issue in the world today is because we do not look to our identity from God. Instead, we try to find our identity based upon what other people think about us. It's the reason why the world will tell you that you need to define your identity primarily by things like your sexuality or the way you look on the outside instead of by what's actually going on inside of you. Our world is selling an empty bill of goods by having you find identity in anything other than being a child, a, son, a daughter, a prince, a princess of God the King who is maker and master of everything. If we find our identity in anything other than that, we have sold our birthright for a bowl of cold porridge, much like Esau. We have given away what truly matters about us because we have looked to find our identity other than in the person of Jesus Christ. You have the reputation of being alive. Thing looks, things look great on the outside, but inside, you are dead. Jesus tells the church in Sardis. On the inside, there was no life. The reputation was deceptive. It was false. It was a lie. Did you know that it's impossible, it is possible to appear Christian and be completely lost? Did you know likewise that it is also possible to appear lost or crazy by worldly standards and be in love with Jesus? Have you ever noticed sometimes our outward appearances or the way we gauge the appearance of other people tells us really nothing about their inward relationship with Christ? Because I have come into contact with many people that from the outside I would think are, or are far from God, would spurn the Word of God and the person of God, but on the inside have a deep relationship that makes me in my lesser moments envious of their relationship with Jesus. But then I've been around and I've had the opportunity to look into some lives that from the outside look like the pristine churchgoer. The person who has been in church and around church and around religiosity for their entire lives and knows how to say the right things, 
do the right things, appear the right way, dress the right, right, right way, all the things that need to be done in order to fit in Christian cultural circles, when in reality, there's death inside. There's emptiness inside. What a way to die. For everything to look great on the outside while you wither away on the inside and no one can see it. What a way to perish. What a way to go. Theologians and preachers, for as long as the church has existed, have wrung their hands over this reality. The reality that there are people in our churches and in our faith groups that play church their entire lives, but never have a solid personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Billy Graham himself was one of those who would wring his hands over what he called unregenerate church membership. People who are in the pews but have no personal relationship with Jesus. That is a startling reality. It is a frightening reality. And it is one that we as a church, we as Christians individually, must come to terms with and must be willing to ask ourselves and those around us hard questions. Because if you grew up in the Bible like I did, it is possible for you to play a game your entire life and never really know the Jesus that you sing about every Sunday for years straight and never really meet him. Never really understand how much he loves you. Never really have a personal relationship with him. It's a thing that Satan does to tempt us and distract us and make us feel like we're fine when in reality we are far from God. On the outside, you get the reputation of being alive, but on the inside you're dead. You know, this is not the only place that Jesus said these kinds of things. In the Gospels, he challenged the Pharisees very pointedly when he told them this he said, you are like whitewashed tombs on the outside. You're beautiful, but inside you are full of dead man's bones, death and decay. You're like a dish that on the outside is pretty, but on the inside is full of filth and disgusting. Looking good on the outside is easy, but it's also the least important thing about you. Their reputation was deceptive. The Christians in Sardis were much like the city that they lived in. They were on a downward decline. Things had been good in the past, but they were on their way down. One thing about the church or the city in Sardis is that it was built on a hill. And because of its location, the people within its walls thought that their city was impregnable against the tax from the outside. And they were so confident, or rather overconfident, in that reality that twice they were overthrown by surprise at night because they did not see it coming. Same is true of the Christians in Sardis. Evidently, they seem to be confident in their appearance when coming in a sneak attack, Satan has stolen them away from the inside out. And just like the patron goddess of Sardis, Sabel, who has this mythology of being able to bring back life, to bring resurrection, the city itself was a dead city who, who talked about resurrection who believed supposedly in the resurrection but weren't experiencing it. It was just a story. It was just a myth. There was no real resurrection taking place. The only kind that can take place in Jesus Christ. Jesus' message to this church is simple. Wake up. There's still some life remaining in you. There is still hope yet to be had. There's also a few faithful believers there are some names that haven't been soiled, he says. You never know when the moment will come 
when the end will come, when that, that impetus moment will come, when something has to be done, someone has to act. Again, the city was overthrown twice by surprise, unprepared. Get ready, wake up, start doing the things that you used to do. He says, don't soil your garments. This, again, makes a lot of sense because Sardis was known for its textile industry. And so you know about garments and keeping them clean. Do not soil your garments. Instead, keep them clean and ready to meet Jesus. Sleep, walk, make terrible decisions. If we just go through life sleepwalking. Has anybody ever suffered from sleepwalking? You can raise your hand. I don't want to room this big. There has to be a couple people that slept. Wow, I guess I'm the only one that slept. I see a couple of other people pointing to other people, but I don't see anybody raising their hands. So maybe that's why. Maybe you, Hey, I guess you wouldn't remember it. So there you go, if you were a sleepwalker. But uh, I did a little bit, especially in high school. Um, my dad would tell me stories uh, when he would try to wake me up in the morning, and we would have these off-the-wall conversations. Uh, in one instance, he tried to wake me up in the morning, he said, I sat up and looked at him, and I said, that car is faster than anything you got, Daddy, and then went, went back to sleep. Um, another time, my mom found me in the hall closet pulling out the vacuum, something I never did when I was awake, uh, but I was going to do it while I was asleep for whatever reason. Um, I still probably talk to myself sometimes in my sleep. You can ask Cheryl that if you want to. I'm sure she has some great stories. But when you're sleepwalking, you're just kind of going through life, completely oblivious and unaware to the things around you, acting by pure instinct. Human instinct doesn't always leave us in the best spot, does it? Human instinct often leads us astray. And that's what so many of us, so many people in the world today are doing. Sleepwalking. Wandering around, going through the same motions. Maybe another thing to illustrate it. You know, when you get in the car and you go to work or to school or somewhere you've been literally thousands of times, your brain does this thing, and it's, it's your brain being efficient, and it should do this, but uh, you've created a habit by making that trip. And so your brain will do this thing where it can kind of tune out, and you can give brain power to other stuff, and you can get to your destination and then never remember all of the different stops in between, right? Suddenly you're there. Time has flown by, completely unaware of how much time has passed, and you're there. That's your brain building a habit. It's a good thing in itself, but it's also a bad thing if something happens during that time when you're supposed to be aware and when your energy is needed fully on that one thing, that's often how we go through life. We're just traveling from one destination to another. We've done this a thousand times. We can just kind of tune out. We can just kind of go along as, everything, as long as everybody's happy. Everything around me seems okay. People are happy with the job I'm doing at work. People are saying kind things about me. As long as that's going on, then we can just keep plugging along. It doesn't matter if I feel dead on the inside. It doesn't matter if I feel like I haven't really had a moment with God in years. It doesn't matter if I feel like even the relationships that appear good from the outside are really hollow. I haven't had a real moment with anyone in months. None of that matters. As long as everything on the outside looks fine, I just keep plugging along because that's what matters. We've got to be productive. We've got to be efficient. We've got to make sure we keep up with the Joneses. We've got to make sure that everybody knows we have it all together because God forbid if somebody knows that I feel hollow or broken on the inside, then they might not respect me. They might not like me. And that's the most important thing in the entire world is for me to be respected and liked and loved by other people, not by God. I will take care of that later. I'll take care of that some other day. He's always there, but these people, I've got to impress them. I've got to make them happy. I've got to make sure everything looks good on the outside. Am I speaking anyone's language besides my own this morning? It is an exhausting 
rat race to chase the approval of mankind and then forget the approval that we're already given by Jesus and the blood that he poured out to buy that approval. Wake up, Jesus says. Hope is not yet lost. You can wake up from your sleepwalking. And to those who wake up, to those who overcome, he promises that he will not blot their name out of the book of life. If you want approval, you've got it in Jesus. And if you can rest in that, it's all the approval that you need. Let me say again what I said earlier. Christ's likeness is an inside-out process. And let me ask you to ask yourself some difficult questions this morning. What is the state of your spiritual life right now? That's only a question that you can answer. I'm not asking you what others think of you. I'm not asking you to go home and ask your spouse or your parents or a friend, hey, how how good of a Christian do you think I am? No, I'm asking you to do some self-evaluation. What is the state of your spiritual life right now? Because ultimately it doesn't matter what anybody else says because they do not know. I know that this is a hard lesson to learn. It's easy to hear. It's easy to stand up here and say, don't worry about what anybody else thinks. Trust me, this is a struggle that I've dealt with my entire life that I don't mean even have to tell the desire to prove others. And I have this working theory. And this is just a theory, so take it for what you will. But that most people who act like they really don't care what other people think, just like who say it very loudly, you know what I'm talking about, right? I don't care what anybody thinks. I think those people really care about what people think. Does anybody else think that? Uh, I think sometimes they want people to be surprised or intimidated by them and that's where that comes from so check yourself even when you're saying that i know it's a difficult thing to just say don't care about what other people think when i was eight years old i made a decision to get baptized because my next oldest cousin did not because jesus was moving in my heart i followed along because i was one of the youngest members of my family and one of the last ones to get baptized thought it needed to happen because well my older cousin was doing it i don't want to be left out during vacation bible school we had had a good time I had won the sardine eating contest that year. Woohoo! I still got the blue ribbon somewhere, probably, or my parents do. Um, hey, I thought that would be worth applause, right? A sardine eating contest? Come on. Just kidding. Um, anyway, it had been a great uh, vacation Bible school, and I you know, just wanted to play along and follow along. And I didn't become aware until, as an eight-year-old, nearly a lifetime later, at the age of 15, uh, at a church camp in Luters, Texas, that... I hadn't really met the real Jesus yet, and I met him in this gym. It was hot because it was in July in Texas at a youth camp. Sweating, and I met him there, and something changed from the inside out. It was irrevocable. It could never be undone. I met him, and he changed me, not just for the remainder of my physical life, but for eternity. That was something different. Have you had that experience with Christ? Are you following him? Not just this, this ethereal God, but it's God who is with you and in you, the Holy Spirit of Jesus. Because there's no such thing as surface level Christianity. It's not really Christianity if it's just surface level. There's no someone who's just saved on the outside. It's salvation. And Christ's likeness is an inside-out process. So again, how is your soul? Why do we spend so much time on the outside? 
It's like somebody who's trying to sell a house. Paints it up. Gets some great curb appeal. Makes the lawn look really nice. Gets somebody to come and stage furniture. Makes everything, you know, smell. Puts some candles out. Makes it smell good. Maybe cooks some food in the kitchen. You know, it's this perfect setting, and it looks awesome. But they don't take care of the termite problem. And the foundation and plumbing issues. Nobody has noticed. Why do we spend so much time on the outside? while we're dying on the inside. When we try to show off our spiritual strength to others, we are attempting to showcase the invisible, something that they can't see. And we're attempting to take credit for what only belongs to God. You need to deal with God's day. Not just today, every day, but perhaps the day is a day when you can do it once again for the first time in a while. If you haven't begun a relationship with him, today can be that day. If you've followed him at some point in your life and you've fallen asleep and you feel like you're sleepwalking through life, today can be the day when the Holy Spirit gives your shoulders a good shake and you wake up to the reality around you and ask God to breathe into the dead areas of your life and take inventory. Here's some questions. Maybe you can pick one. How would you describe your inner relationship with God this past year, this past month, this past week? In what ways has God encouraged you lately? Are there some things that God has done in your life to bring you hope or joy or to at least bring you peace in the midst of pain? How has God encouraged you lately? What is God currently transforming within you? Is there an area of your life that you can feel God chiseling on, a sin that he's trying to break you free from? Or is there some sort of, sort of spiritual discipline or something that he's asking you to develop, to follow him? How has God been transforming you lately? And what can you pay to strengthen your inner relationship really not that hard. It's not a secret. I think it's not that hard. It takes some discipline, of course, but the hard work has already been done. And there's a cross and an empty tomb that bear that hard work. There's a Savior that still has nail prints in his wrist and in his feet that bear that work. He's already done everything needed to be done for you to have access to God the Father. Access that we all gave away through sin, but that he gave back to us by coming to propitiation for our sins on the cross. He's already done the work necessary for you to have access to him. So maybe it's time to spend some time with him. Again, this is like Christianity 101, but it's one of the quickest things we forget, isn't it? So we just get so busy with life and making sure that all of our other things are done and all the people around us are happy. Meeting the expectations of everyone else and we're losing our first love and our relationship with the one who approves of us every time, not because of what we've done, but because of who he is. What if you could step off the treadmill of trying to make everyone happy and rest in the arms of someone who desperately wants to say to you, come, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. 
welcome home, good and faithful servant. You are my child whom I love so much so that I would give everything for you. What if we could rest in that? What if we could see ourselves in that light and celebrate that light? Forget about it. Would you rather appear the perfect Christian to everyone around you, but feel dead and lost on the inside? Or have a vibrant, transforming, life and joy-giving relationship with Christ on the inside and be thought of a loser by the masses? If you hesitate, it shows how much we are involved in the culture of this world and how that slavery needs to be May we all be idiots in the eyes of the world and rest in our kingship and queenship in Christ. Amen? May we rest in what God has done for us. Not what we might do for ourselves in making ourselves appear great in this world. How's your soul? And what can you do today to strengthen your inner relationship? You know, God meets with individuals and makes himself present with each of us. But God also desires to work through his church, the body of Christ, us, you and I, gathered together. And if Christ is going to work through his church, and I know and trust that he is, not because his church today is awesome, but because he is who he is, and he'll make the rocks crowd if he has to. I trust that God is not done with the church yet because he has not yet returned. And as long as Christ wants to work with the church, I think that he wants to work with this church in particular, with the people of this faith community. And if that's true, if God wants to use us, we are going to be best used by him when we rest in him, when we focus on him, and not what others think about us, when we don't think about how appealing we are or entertaining we are or relevant we are, but rather instead we are absolutely, unequivocally, holy, wholeheartedly, everybody else can think it's crazy how much in love we are with Jesus Christ. A church on fire for Jesus is all that's needed to change the world. Could that be this church? Could that be you, Christian, child of God? A Christian on fire for Jesus is all that he needs. You don't have to be perfect, polished up, just on fire and in love with him. Is that who you are? Is that who we are? are questions I want us to think about this time as we sing a couple of more worship songs and have time to reflect. Again, the question for you is, how is your soul today? How is your personal relationship with Jesus? And what steps can you take to dive into him again if you're sleepwalking through life? Where do you need to create space in your life to spend time alone with him? Just his word, his prayer, uh, just his word and through prayer, his spirit How do you make that time? How do you spend that time? Because that's what's going to matter above everything else. So our band is going to come and lead us in those couple of songs. I'm going to pray here in just a moment. And then you're going to be given time to ask yourselves these questions. And I hope and encourage you to now and from this point, be open with yourself. Like, be authentic with yourself. You're not trying to impress anybody. Answer questions honestly. 
consider yourself honestly. And then, and then allow Christ to move in you. to share this. I know that you're not alone in this room. Perhaps others need to hear it. <laughs> Amen. Thanks, brother. Perhaps that's your testimony as well. Jesus is never further away than you crying out for him. No matter how black your heart is, today's a perfect opportunity to do that. If you don't know Christ as Savior, I would love to introduce you to him come down here while we're singing. I'll be down here praying. Pray with me. Or you can find me after the service. We can talk about it then. If you do know Christ personally, but you've been sleepwalking and Christ wants to deal with you, come and pray about that or anything else during this time this morning or after the service. Let's stand together. I'm going to pray. Our band is going to lead us. And as they do, would you just move in whatever way God's calling? Father, you are good. You have done great things, all of which we are unworthy yet to give yourself to us again and again and again. And God, we have fallen for the gods of this world far too long, far too often, looking to them for approval and only finding blackness, darkness, anxiety, depression, all of the other things that come with this world. God, I pray that if there's anyone here this morning that does not know you, God, that you would call them home. God, if there's anyone listening online, God, that you would move in their heart to reach out to Facebook Messenger, something, and reach out to someone to ask for help to deal with that distance between you and them. And God, for those of us who do know you, God, we want to be on fire. God, we want to wake up. God, we want to be used by you. We want to be unsoiled and unspoiled by the world. And we desire to be all about you. Forget what anyone else thinks. God, may you raise up a passion in us and in this church so that we might be on fire for you. And God, as we burn, let other people see us and see your work in us. Let us not be concerned about the way we look. Let us instead pursue you and you alone. God, may you be glorified. And may you move and take control in these next few moments. I pray that in Jesus' name. Thank you.